Yeah, we are back on the Lions 24-7 podcast, coming to you a day later than usual. Apologies for that. You can blame Elton John uh, for his concert at the Jordan Center the other night, which I went to with the house full of people that I had uh, all weekend long, which was great, um, except we didn't get around to recording. Then again, it was a 63-10 to 10 win, so I'm not really sure that there's all that much that we can get back around to. Luckily, we're here. Tyler Donahue, I'm Sean Fitz. Lions 24-7 podcast and just uh, a sort of a woodshed beating for uh, for Kent State. And it was close in the first half, but Penn State really opened it up. And, you know, with some penalties and some touchdowns called back, maybe not even as close as the 63-10 to scoreline would indicate. 63-10, to uh, it tells the story pretty well. It's an accurate description of how the game went. And like you said, a couple, couple less flags thrown could have been into the 70s. Uh, there were some, I guess you could call dicier moments in the first half where you wondered if Kent State may give Penn State some trouble, push it into the third quarter where you're still wondering what's going to happen. That late touchdown really, I think, kind of slammed the door shut in, at the end of the second half. At the end of the first half, Trace McSorley makes the tackle on the interception, leads a quick four-play drive to get in the end zone. And I feel like after that, we were pretty much just waiting to see – what the final score would be. Yeah, absolutely. Penn State covered easily. A um, couple of game balls. I don't think it's any uh, any crazy thing to say Trace McSorley is your player of the game, accounted for five touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns. Uh, was pretty accurate as well. Um, had a couple of them called back, too. Had the, on the first drive, had the deep ball to Handler. Cam Sullivan-Brown had a long touchdown called back. So um, aside from the mistakes and all that stuff, McSorley's got to be your player of the game. But special mention to DeAndre Tompkins, really bust. Uh, Bounced back in a big way, had over 100 yards receiving, and just a phenomenal touchdown catch uh, to to open the scoring for Penn State. Miles Sanders ran hard as well. I think he's having an underrated season uh, so far. And, yeah, just a lot to like on offense. Yeah, you, me, everyone on this beat, fans out there, mentioning DeAndre Tompkins in a negative way at times last week, wondering where he was, the drops against Pittsburgh. He flashed his skills as a punt returner again on Saturday, but what a way to break out of his slump, getting that you know full extension touchdown grab. And by the way, uh, his hometown was getting hammered by that hurricane. He said he wanted to make them proud, give them something to, to smile about. He did that. Yeah, certainly plenty to smile about for the offense on Saturday as well. Uh, defensively, good showing for Penn State. I'm, I mean, obviously there's there's things to tighten up, but really good individual performances. I'm going to go with Sharif Miller. Um, two more sacks, I think it was. Uh, he's in the backfield a bunch. Really having a fantastic season. I'm not sure it's getting the the recognition that you know it probably deserves, but yeah, he's been the most constant defensive lineman, the most active defensive lineman, and he, he definitely deserves a mention here. A couple other guys, uh, Cam Brown. You know, he, he was very bad the first week. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, last week started to come around, and and this week I thought he played a more complete game. Led Penn State in tackles with seven, had a couple tackles for loss. So he's starting, I think, to pick it up a little bit. He said after the game, he's been playing a little bit of Mike, playing a little bit of uh, Sam. So he's kind of been all over the place. And, you know, when Penn State went to that nickel, which is something they're probably going to have to do next week against Ohio State, he was one of the guys that stayed on and, and got some experience there. So Cam Brown with a, with a good game. Tariq Castro-Fields starting in place of John Reed once again. The kid's pretty good. I mean, he's. I think he's going to continue to get better. He's a guy that's uh, not afraid to go tackle. Coverage skills are there. I think he's a pro prospect as a as a cornerback. And um, Yitor Gross Matos was also around the ball a good bit on Saturday. 
Uh, of course, that defensive line, you know, once they got settled in, was pretty good. And I think both defensive ends deserve a mention. But, yeah, it, definitely on the defensive side of the ball, there's a lot to like. Even if Castro Fields is not starting when John Reed returns to the field, to me, he's a starting caliber cornerback for this Penn State football team. Uh, his ability to tackle in the open field, I thought, has been really impressive here for three weeks. Uh, three solo stops this past Saturday. I remember them all because they were all extremely impressive in the way just textbook. And you mentioned Sharif Miller. I think it's big to note that because of some of these retirements, Brown, Buckles, he's really become the old guy in that room. He's really taken it upon himself to attach some of the younger players to his hip. He uh, specifically mentioned Jason Away as one of those guys. They both end up with multi-sack games. So credit to uh, Sharif Miller for coming through with the kind of season so far that we expected and also for stepping up as a leader in that group. Yeah, and, and going off on a tangent here, you talked about Tariq Castro-Fields, you know, whether or not he's the starter. I think he probably is a starter when John Reed comes back because Reed can slide inside. You can play with five DBs and, and go from there. But Donovan Johnson, uh, Zach McPherson, both pretty good games on Saturday, showing some good coverage skills. So there's a lot to like in that cornerback room. We knew they were good. We knew they were deep. But it's good to see, you know, production from those guys when they're in there. Special teams, I, I'm going to give it to Jake Penninger, uh What? I so many extra points, just all the extra points. Would have liked to see him kick the field goal. Don't know if it's necessarily the, the situation to put him in for a 55-yarder or whatever that would have been, but consistent. Uh, hasn't missed a PAT since he's been here. Um, so I, I think that's definitely some good things. And I think you're grading on a curve. Uh, you know, Blake Gillikin averaged, I think, 48 and a half yards a punt on his two punts the other day. Of course, drew the big penalty that uh, extended the drive to start the game. Um, so, you know, he's, he's a constant MVP, but Jake Pinnegar uh, definitely deserves mention here. Absolutely. And, and when we talk about Jake Pinnegar, the fact that we're not bringing up any missed extra points throughout three games, and there's been a lot of opportunities because there's been a lot of points scored. I think that's big because even if you come out of Kent State with a 61-10 to 10 win, but Jake Pinnegar misses a couple extra points, there's some concern there that when things are very close in some of these Big Ten matchups, that that could cost you. That's not the case. He's taking care of business. Also got to point out, Hamler, whether it was Hamler, whether it was Tompkins, returning kicks, returning punts, they've got a special dynamic group of returners this year. That's going to carry them well, and I don't expect that to end. I think the averages will come down a bit as they face tougher opponents with more skilled special teams units, but I think those guys are two of the best in the business right now. Yeah, I don't think there's any question, and probably Kent State's special teams player of the week, their punter, because I think he almost led them in tackles because he was uh, that was that was rough to he watch. Had a busy day. He had yeah, a busy day. Rough to watch him come. He also nailed one of his coaches with a punt. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that. That's good to see. The snaps have been good. Raf Cheka had six of ten touchbacks, so he got a lot of work on Saturday naturally. And so, I mean, it's uh, it's encouraging from the special teams. Of course, they had uh, Kent State had the onside kick early in the game, which I, you know, frankly, I think Penn State was kind of prepared for. They just didn't show the initiative to get there before the ball went to ten yards, and um, it, it was close. But it was definitely. One thing that uh, one more thing, you know, we saw when Penn State was at Beaver Stadium last time that the special teams were an issue. You thought that was going to be the case to start the game, but it really they came around and did a good job. And credit to Kent State, Sean Lewis, who we talked about last week being the youngest coach in college football by two years. The first seven minutes of this game, they go for the onside kick. They go for fourth down in their own territory. They end up uh, moving the chains on that one because of a penalty. Uh, but to me, it's clear that, that they're still another year or so away from that offense being on the same page with its coaching staff. Those players aren't quite ready. 
Don't see Woody Barrett being comfortable or necessarily in the game shape he needs to be. Uh, and Penn State handled that challenge very well with the tempo attack. Yeah, and speaking of kickers, uh, you saw in the NFL this weekend how tough that can be. And, uh, you know, luckily, though, friend of the podcast, Sam Ficken, uh, decided to sign with the Rams. I'm sure he had a couple of calls, but uh, stepping in for Greg Zerline, who's who's injured. So Ficken back in the NFL, good to see. Uh, with a 53-point win, you know, the, the, obviously that's that's a big margin, but still plenty to clean up. We talked a little bit about the penalties. Uh, defensively on the first drive, a three, it would have been three false start, or excuse me, uh, encroachment, false start, whatever penalties you want to call uh, on the defensive line. Uh, obviously not good. One, one sort of extended the drive. Another was during a touchdown play. So that's something that, you know, absolutely cannot happen as, as Penn State uh, enters Big Ten play. Offensively, a couple called back for holding. Um, you know, another pick play where it would have, uh, you know, would have opened things up. I think this week was a little bit closer than last week. I think they were both the right call. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, those little things that uh, you you can't get away with against an Ohio State. And obviously, there's a bunch to clean up on offense. And speaking of little things you just can't get away with, drop passes. It's It's been a bit of a calling card for this group so far through three weeks. Uh, didn't really bite them too hard in the last couple of games because they, they surged the big leads. But it's a situation where you can't drop three, four passes a game and expect to win and, and compete for a Big Ten championship. Uh, puts too much pressure on Trace McSorley. Again, we saw Polk drop a pass. We saw Holland drop a pass. Tompkins... Fortunately, this time was had a clean game, caught all four of his targets. Uh, but that's something that continues to, to be a little bit concerning for you. And it's certainly impacting Trace McSorley's completion percentage. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't really care about that. He cares about wins and points, and they're scoring 50-plus a game. Uh, but they can't drop passes at this kind of rate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing we talked about in the podcast last week, that stall after the fast start. You know, people want to say, you know, they need to start fast. Well, they have. They've scored, you know, on the first drive of every um, every play, or excuse me, of every game this season and then there's kind of a lull there's that letdown you know uh the 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 opposing team can come down the field score you saw the onside kick this week you know it's sort of a theme that's developing and it's and it's kind of uh it's it's kind of off-putting i mean you you really can't afford to have that because you know you can't rely on trace mcsorley to come back and bring you down and 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 get you those points you can do that against kent state Pitt, and uh to a lesser extent appalachian state who you know we've talked about and we're going to continue to talk about as a good team here but uh yeah, that the, something's got to be done. Um, you know, I'm not sure how you replicate that. Um, you know, you, you can go out and do a lot of situational drills and things like that. But, you know, it, you're talking about the second and third drives of, uh, of the game on offense is, is, is really slowed them down a bit. And we'll talk about this later in the week. But I think this Friday night at Illinois is a prime example of a game where you want to come out. Put a few drives together, uh, you know, in a row to start, you know, get a couple scores up um, and take the home team, the home crowd out of it. Because when you leave that door open, you score seven, seven points in your first drive and then it's deeper into the first quarter and you're still up by one possession. Makes a big difference in terms of the psyche of your opponent. If you can get them down 14 nothing, even 10 nothing, midway through the first quarter, starts to change the way they might start to press a little bit more. So I think Penn State, that's something if they take a step forward. They can press down on the neck of that opponent just a bit more, apply that pressure. It would make a big difference. Absolutely. Still no Tommy Stevens this week, although we did see the most that we've seen out of Tommy. He was at practice throwing the other day. Uh, he warmed up with the team in team period, which he really hasn't done that much uh, this year. Uh, no Shane Simmons. He was not dressed, but 
those two seem to be inching their way back into getting to it. Um, John Reed was with, uh, you know, was dressed, did not play. I think, you know, if it's not Kent State, he can probably give it a go there. Um, but definitely, I, I think all three of those guys getting closer and closer to getting back on the field. Um, one guy that's been on the field, you know, I think this is the last point to wrap this up, Juwan Johnson, man. I mean, he's uh, he, he can't be this guy. I mean, this is, uh, I think, no catches against Kent State. Um, you know, it's it, it's been an issue all season where he hasn't established himself, and he, he really disappeared on Saturday. It's hard to believe that Jawan Johnson doesn't come up with a catch uh, against Kent State. Uh, I'm just watching him out there on the football field before these plays are run. The guys he's matched up across from, the physical athletic advantage that he possesses in each of those matchups was pretty astounding. We know that he had a touchdown called back on the pick play, but uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, Tompkins coming, breaking through and finally putting himself in the box score and having a 100-yard receiving game, that takes some of that, uh, you know, that noise away from what we've been talking about, these veteran receivers. But Jawan Johnson needs to be the guy. We've said it before. A series at a time. Like one series, he needs to be able to dominate that series, catch three or four passes on a drive, and just show that he can outmatch and just outleap these opponents. And and so far through three games, that's starting to become a pretty big sample size where we're just not seeing the all-season expectations reflected on the field. Yeah, and you see that they want to go to him. I mean, they, they threw that little out uh, pattern to him. I think that was more of an option route for on his part where he turned around a little late. The safety kind of bailed, which you really didn't expect to see at all. Um, and, he, and he cut his route, cut his route off, and Trace McSorley had already thrown the ball. But, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's got to be a thing where he's got to step up and establish himself. And, man, we can't keep saying it every week. I mean, <laughs> somebody's going to come in and that's been productive and, and, and take that spot if he's not going to do it so um but uh yeah i mean speaking of wide receivers gonna sag into recruiting here the guy in 2020 or he could be the guy in 2019 julian fleming back on campus for a second straight game uh you know he still plans on being back for the whiteout as well in a couple weeks so penn state gonna go three for three and getting him on campus and i think that's gonna go a long way i think penn state leads here um i think he's got a you know he's got a ton of options right now but uh yeah you got to be feeling good about getting him back and uh getting him back on campus especially a day after james franklin goes and sees him wearing a penn state number four jersey Sean, you spoke with Julian, you know, very shortly before the season, and he talked about coming up for the Ohio State game, for the Michigan State game, to get him on two visits that he didn't necessarily plan to be at ahead of time. Um, that's big time. I mean, to, to anything we've talked about it. Anytime you get him on campus, that's a win for your program. This is a guy who is coveted by every college program. If he isn't, he should be. Uh, and, and to me, coming up with his teammates, family, it. It just feels like it's rolling towards uh, a happy ending for Penn State. I don't know when that comes, but it's on the right track. And if you're a fan of the Nittany Lions, if you're in that Nittany Lions recruiting department, you can't ask for anything more than getting Julian Fleming uh, in the seats for games one and two on your home schedule. Yeah, absolutely. And and to give you a little timeline of this, I, I asked Julian Fleming, I think it was last Thursday night or last Friday morning, if he was going anywhere the weekend for the weekend. He said no. I asked him after James Franklin visited him at his game. All of a sudden, he was coming up to Penn State. He said, I lied on right. Penn State. So, That's right. Um, James Franklin wearing the number four jersey, uh, the number four Penn State jersey on the sideline there. And there's a lot of love between those two. Um, and yeah, that, it helps. You know, coach, coach makes the trip. He follows suit. And let's make it very clear, Sean. Julian Fleming has a ticket 
waiting for him at every stadium in America right now if he wants to go to a game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as many tickets probably as he as he can get yeah, at Penn State. Yeah. Um, a couple other visits. Uh, Michael Carmody was back on campus. Uh, 2020 offensive lineman from Pittsburgh. Was a tight end. Con- uh, converted to offensive tackle. Looks really good as an offensive tackle. Really good basketball player. Athlete as well. So a lot to like there. Steve Wiltfong put in a crystal ball pick coming off the visit to Penn State. Um, so that's, uh, that's certainly encouraging there. I like where Penn State stands as well. I think Michigan is going to be involved here. If Notre Dame offers, there's certainly going to be a, a, a big, uh, you know, a big presence in his recruitment. His brother is going to play basketball there. I believe he's a freshman there right now. Um, so th- they will be a team that's certainly worth mentioning. But yeah, you got to like what Penn State's done so far. They've gotten him on campus for a game. He was on campus for camp in late July. Went to the spring game, visited early in April. So just kind of following the visits. I mean, this is a kid that, you know, you can say has really, really showed some legitimate interest in Penn State. And when Steve Wiltfong makes a crystal ball pick, I tend to perk up a little bit because Steve has a, a really strong track record in that department, engaging these kids' interest. And I will say we, we said how he's transitioned from tight end to tackle, looking very strong in that role. And uh, it's nice to, to be able to get someone like that on campus when it's not an Ohio State situation because you can really make sure you're showering him with the attention that you want to. You can get the points across to him and his parents, whoever's with him, his support staff, his support crew. Whereas Ohio State, you're trying to sneak in a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there, spread the love. I thought it was a really nice setting to get a player like Michael Carmody, like Julian Fleming on campus. Yeah, a guy we mentioned last week, Curtis Jacobs, did not make the trip, suffered an ankle injury the night before and, and, and did not feel up to it. Uh, beyond that, big picture stuff, of course, Ohio State's coming up. Uh, but Penn State, I think, is is getting closer on a couple of their, their top targets, really from the start in this class on the defensive line. Um, and they're both in New York, Adisa Isaac, Jared Harrison Hunt. I think uh, you know Penn State's still the team to beat for both of them. Isaac is going to take his official visit for the uh, Ohio State game, as reported last week by Brian Dunn. Harrison Hunt will, you know, is, is going to make it back to campus as well. And just you, you look at it and, you know, Penn State doesn't have a ton of space left. Uh, you know, they've got Hakeem Beeman on the defensive line, but uh, there, there's certainly room for both of those guys. And to segue into, into something else, hosted Rashad Cheney, an Alabama commit um, for the game last week. Be interesting to see the, what, space lo- what space looks like. I think Cheney's on his way out of that Bama class. Um, you know, looking at his other options, it was an unofficial visit um, up to Penn State. So be interesting to see where he lands or if Penn State, you know, really continues to push there, um, especially with, in good standing with Isaac and Harrison Hunt and a few other guys on the defensive line. But, I mean, you got to like where things are trending, on, uh, you know, up front. Sean Spencer is, has been an active recruiter. He's been a guy that's been able to, to, to sort of up the talent on the defensive line. And, you know, with, with those guys, it would go a long way. Those are top targets from the start. Yeah, you'd love to just plug those two guys from New York into this class if you're the Penn State staff and feel really good about that group moving ahead. Uh, Cheney, certainly, that, that is something that's intriguing because he's, you know, he's on his own dime, coming up for uh, certainly less than a marquee game in Happy Valley. So that was interesting. Um, so, you know, defensive, we'll see what, where they go. They've got, uh, they've got Devon Ellis, uh, a teammate of, of P.J. Mustafers and Curtis Jacobs down at, at McDonough School, a former teammate of P.J.'s. they got Ben Smiley down in Virginia at defensive tackle as well. Uh, but I think those two guys from New York, and, and you've been hitting on this when you write up your top target boards, those are the priorities right now. Yeah, absolutely. I've had Isaac really at the top of the board, at the top of the big board for a while. Of course, Zach Harrison's still out there as well. Rodas Johnson in Ohio is still out there as well. A couple other names um, still out there. But – 
yeah, I think Adisa, he, he showed the legitimate interest. Uh, you look at him and he's, he's pretty much what Sean Spencer would like to build from. I mean, if, if you look at Sharif Miller a couple of years ago, Adisa is a similar guy. He's, he's raw, yet productive on the football field. Just a really good athlete, great length, um, runs pretty well. So, um, you know, it's, I think it's the direction that they definitely want to go to on the, uh, on the defensive line. Next segment, they, they brought in a phenomenal freshman class last year. We've talked about that a, a million times, but, you know, some new guys seeing the field this week. I'm going to start with Jason Awe. I mean, he's a guy I know you've talked about a lot. You've talked to a lot. Um, since we're going to go with defensive end, we'll go defensive end to defensive end. Two career sacks now after one game. And, you know, it's it, it was really fun to watch. Very quick off the ball. But, uh, you know, at the same time, elements of his raw game still still have a lot to work on doesn't get much better than that for a beaver stadium debut uh than two sacks and and limited reps and, and jason's got to feel sky high on this because he's someone who's really embraced the work that goes into crafting yourself and that's a big reason why he picked uh penn state because he thinks sean spencer can be that guy to take him to the next level because he's only got two years of football under his belt coming into this situation and when he's out there i mean he's got that speed of of a, of a quick linebacker and now he's pushing 250 pounds at about six foot five and you just, you just imagine what it looks like when all the pieces t- come together. They're not together yet, and I know it was Kent State, but that's two college sacks in a season where he may redshirt. I mean, maybe he impresses the staff enough to, to just say, hey, we're going to let him hunt all season. We'll see where it goes from here. Uh, but clearly, nice little tactical move by them saying, okay, we're going to pull the reins back on Nick Tarburton. Let's see what Jason has. Oh, two sacks. Great. We, we like this little collaboration. And, uh, you know, a nice thing for the fans to see because uh, you, me, Everybody who's, who's encountered Jason has kind of been billing him as this raw, high-ceiling guy. And to get that kind of glimpse from day one just tells you a lot about where he could be in 2020, 2021. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned Nick Tarburton there. For those that, that missed it, uh, James Franklin, after the game on Saturday, said they played Nick Tarburton in, in weeks one and two, pulled him back a little bit, going to save him for the end of the year. They can still get that red shirt out of him. So, you know, if, if somebody goes down, they can throw him in there, no doubt about it. But um, you're, I think you're seeing a little bit of strategy come into play with the, the red shirt rule and you see what you got out of OA and, you know, go from there. So um, definitely an interesting strategy. I think everybody's learning a little bit about this red shirt rule. I think it's, you know, I've been on it from the start. I think it's a really cool rule. Give it, give guys a chance to do that. And, and maybe you see Jason Awe with multiple sacks to his name before he actually starts his eligibility clock, which is, you know, I'm not sure how that's going to register for, you know, team records and all that stats and stuff, but uh, it's crazy to think about. A couple other new faces this week. We finally saw Justin Shorter out there. Didn't see a lot of him. You know, didn't didn't really do a ton, but he was out there in a set with uh, Daniel George and uh, Jahan Dotson. Daniel George, uh, his first career catch is the longest uh, touchdown, excuse me, the longest pass play in Penn State history. So that's a pretty good start for Daniel George. Yeah, these, uh, these, these players know how to make the debut. I mean, Matt Kippenhammer against Pitt, first college catch, it's a touchdown. Uh, we see the same for Daniel George. He sets a program record in the process. Sean Clifford, who we'll get to in a moment, last week his first touch, his first pass was a touchdown. And Cam Sullivan-Brown almost joined that act with a long touchdown on his first catch, came back for a penalty. So these guys know how to say hello. Uh, I will say, you know, seeing these three wide receivers in action, it was limited. Um, but they certainly all physically look like they belong, belong on a college field. We know John Dotson's a little bit behind in that regard, but uh, he, he's a smooth route runner. He's a guy that we expect to see more of. We've been talking about him a lot. 
Definitely a good sign to see Justin Shorter on the field, involved after he was banged up coming out of preseason camp. So uh, it's going to be interesting as we sort through these young wide receivers and see who's ready to make an impact for the rest of the year. But I will say, Sean, how soon until the purists come out and say, hey, these can't be records because he did in the season when he played three games. And it's going to be kind of a mess when we try to put these stats together and people are going to want asterisks. And something that kind of popped up on all of our radars, I think, last week is as these guys start to accrue some impressive stats. Well, that'll be something for us to make fun of a couple years down the road. <laughs> uh, but we will see. Yeah, beyond that, uh, a guy that really looked, you know, and, and I, I don't know how to frame this, but Zach Koontz is so massive. I mean, he's he's six seven and a half, two thirty five or, or whatever he is now. And just to see him with the ball, I mean, you don't need binoculars to catch this guy. Um, he, of course, he had the he had the play called back where he got the twenty some yard gain, but he looked pretty good out there. But he also looked like a guy that needs a red shirt. So I think that's the part of the rule that can come back. Um, Trent Gordon got a lot of snaps at corner, and and the last guy that I'm going to highlight, Rasheed Walker, looked pretty good. As a, as a left tackle, I mean, he's he, he looks like a left tackle that you want to trot out there, you know, as one of your starters. But uh, yeah, he's definitely um, he's definitely impressive, and I think this this experience is really going to pay off for him, maybe more so than any of those other guys. Rashid Walker is about the most well put together three hundred and five pound freshman I've seen on the offensive line in college. I mean, it's just he's got such a frame to grow upon, and he's already that sat- stature. Koontz, absolutely, he just he, he has the strides out there, and he just makes up so much ground. He dominated the high school level. The transition is going to be a little bit tough for him, but what a future they may have at tight end with him and Pat Fryermuth. And and last one to touch on, uh, there was a, a moment speaking with Tariq Castro-Fields uh, after the game where he's going through some of these players. He said Trent Gordon put his big boy pants on. Uh, for this game so I think that's a good thing yeah and and James Franklin talked a little bit after the game it creates a health a a happier locker room I believe he said so a healthier locker room a happier locker room you know getting these guys on the field and and a guy like Gordon you know who's up from Texas who's a long way from home obviously to get in and get some action and to, to you know get your family to see you on TV and things like that, I think that's a that's a really cool thing. And I think you you can see some of this homesickness sort of cut by playing time because you know as we know playing time certainly you know takes some of that edge off if you're a freshman going through your first season. Hey, Sean, I think it's the freshmen and I think it's the scout team guys who bust their butt behind the scenes every day getting out there for a few snaps. It allows so many people in the locker room to take some ownership, some true ownership that they had a hand in this victory, whether it was in the first quarter or in the final minute. I think that's definitely a good thing for the locker room, a boost for the morale. Yeah, and and he's not a freshman. He's far from a freshman. But Jonathan Thomas getting into the end zone, that's something that will make your entire locker room just sort of blow up. If you saw him coming off the field, everybody was there to meet him, to to pound him on the shoulder pads, to pound him on the head. Um, Probably going to make fun of him for getting caught from behind on the long run. But, uh, you know, he finished off the drive and did a good job. K.J. Hamler had some really nice things to say. A couple other people had some really nice things to say about Jonathan Thomas and you know for what he's gone through you know he was a guy that as a freshman on the scout team you know they they had the class of Mark Allen Nick Scott and Jonathan Thomas everybody thought Jonathan Thomas was going to be the guy I mean he was a a big sort of bruising guy but he also had some good speed but injuries man just piled up on him unfortunately and then then they Penn State brought in another running back who did some pretty good things so Thomas got sort of uh, pushed to the back burner Honestly, you know, little surprise he's still at Penn State. He could have transferred somewhere. He could have gone, you know, back home to UMass or, you know, found an 
FCS program or something like that. But it's um, it, it's really good to see him out there. And you mentioned the walk-ons were out there. Jason Vranick was out there. Frank DeLeo was out there. Uh, just some really cool uh, memories for those guys. Back to the freshmen, uh, Pat Fryermuth has done a really good job. Um, yeah, I think he's listed as uh, one of the three starters at tight end this week. So that's uh, something good for him. And I think he really has a bright future. The kickers we mentioned earlier have been good. And P.J. Mustafer, I think he's starting to come along, um, work himself into that uh, that sort of constant rotation where he can get in there and play just more than situational snaps. So got to like what you're saying from the freshman class so far. There was one point, and I think it was in like the second quarter, where we saw four true fresh freshmen on the field on defense together. And you're just seeing these guys grow before your eyes, having the opportunity to do this. And you're going to need to count on these players. And let's face it, we talked about Reed and Simmons, uh, Shorter and Stevens. A lot of these things were, were injuries that surfaced during camp. They haven't dealt with too many in-game injuries where you're seeing the guy leave and not come back. That will happen. It's football. It will happen. So some of these guys, even if we don't expect it, could step into expanded roles because they have to. And experiences like they got on Saturday will be beneficial. Absolutely. Um, some other young guys, uh, you know, beyond that redshirt freshman, a lot of guys getting playing time. We're not even going to mention KJ Hamler because, you know, he's past that. But Camp Sullivan Brown quietly found his way out there. CJ Thorpe got in there for a couple of scheduled series. We talked about that that block he had last week against Pitt, but he got out there and got some time. Sean Clifford just throws touchdown passes. Ellis Brooks played more as well. So, um, Jonathan Sutherland, Jonathan Sutherland. I mean, he's he's all over the place. And that's it's fun to watch him. He also was out there showing some range. I think he had five or six tackles. So a lot of new contributors getting a chance. He's he's physical, man. He's he's all over the place. Uh, might want to watch that helmet a little bit. We talked about this about after the game. He might be you know suspect to that targeting penalty once or twice in his career. Um, but yeah, he's he's physical. He flies around the ball and and, and does a lot of good things. It remains to be seen how many of these young guys we see on Friday night as Penn State travels to Champaign to take on Illinois. Uh, different setup, obviously, Friday night to first Penn State Friday night game uh, in a long time. I guess they used to play right after Thanksgiving. But uh, it's it, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. Uh, you've got a schedule change. You've got a travel roster to deal with since this is a Big Ten game. So limited to taking, I think, 77 players it is now on the road. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be one of those things where it, it changes your routine and you see how you respond. Of course, Illinois is going to play on a short week as well, but they don't have to travel. Penn State will get out to uh, Champaign on Thursday and, and go through that. It's going to impact your practice schedule. James Franklin did not give the team off on Monday as it usually has. Um, you know, the radio show has changed. I'm not sure if that impacts really anybody but us. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that as, as well as the, the trap game storyline that we're probably going to hear a lot about this week yeah and james franklin like every college football coach in the country does their best to basically engineer their own universe and they can live within that throughout the season and have everything on the same day every week this messes with that a little bit uh but on the back end of it you think does it give you a little bit of a boost because you got another day to rest recover another day to game plan and moving forward to what we anticipate will be an epic showdown uh but i know it's illinois 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 9 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be an interesting, you know, th- there is definitely the setup for a, a letdown. I just don't see it because I think having that first game scare against Appalachian State, and it was the scariest of scares you could imagine, um, I just think that they really got a lot of that out of the system. I just don't think they're going to let uh, Illinois sneak up on them. And, and let's face it, this is an Illini program under Lovey Smith, who has coached in the Super Bowl, by the way. They've lost 12 straight Big Ten games. Yeah, they're, they're not – 
what do you say that good um so yeah penn state i i, I thought it was really interesting when james franklin was talking after the, the the game on uh saturday you don't have to lose to have a learning experience and i think you kind of touched on that with what you just said um but yeah i mean i can see a letdown here but a letdown doesn't necessarily mean a loss um you're gonna have to figure out how to bridge that gap between the fast start and playing the rest of the first uh first half which they've struggled in at times this year so I, I can see a letdown, but um, I, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's something that's going to cost them a game. Of course, Ohio State uh, looms two weeks in the future. Just announced uh, today, as we're recording on Monday, seven thirty on ABC. So that's obviously going to be a big one. But I think you know, as much as you may hate the Friday night game and the change to the routine, I think it'll be worth it when you get that extra day off to to, to get ready for the Buckeyes. And I think when you look at this game, aside from getting the win and coming out healthy, what you look for to me on both sides of the ball, and again, we'll get into this later preview in the game more in depth on our, on our podcast later in the week. Uh, I think you want to see, again, Jawan Johnson. You want to see that assertiveness from him. You want to see some rhythm there with McSorley in the passing game overall. But specifically, I want to. I think you want to see Jawan Johnson start Big Ten play on the right foot and get him feeling good about himself because Ohio State's got an impressive defensive backfield that's not going to be easy to you know get off the get off the 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 buck with that one and I think ultimately um, defensively you just want to see a pretty clean game you want to see guys where they're supposed to be not a lot of confusion out there if you can get you know check both those off your list you feel pretty good coming home at 4-0 yeah absolutely absolutely and we'll talk more about Illinois later in the week we'll be back probably Thursday try and get that one up as early as possible to give people more time to listen to it with the Friday start um, but yeah Penn State heading to Champaign we are heading out of here thank you for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. He is Tyler Donahue. I am Sean Fitz. Remember, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify now. We're all over the place. Check us out. Rate us. Um, but yeah, most of all, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for letting us come to you a day late this week. We will see you on Thursday. This has been the Lions 24-7 podcast. Get it. 